0: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio.
3: It was an epic. It was indescribably exciting. It was the absolute perfect ending to a season that had many pratfalls for the NFL. This was about as good as it could possibly get. Eagles, Patriots, for all the marbles, down to the final play of the game, I don't know about the rest of you, but I totally expected for somehow, some way, the Patriots to not die there, catch the Hail Mary, make the two-point conversion, and take this into overtime. Didn't happen. Congrats to the city of Philadelphia and to the Eagles for beginning, after a very, very long time, beginning their morning as Super Bowl champions. So many things to get to in today's show I will open up the phone lines. You know on Mondays we have absolutely no guest. 877-996-6369. Among the stories that I wrote down that most impressed me throughout the course of last night's game. Let's begin here. Doug Peterson should absolutely use this film and conduct coaching clinics for the rest of his life, for other coaches, on how to win a big game. He was aggressive. He tried to win as opposed to outlast the Patriots. How many times over the years have we seen teams try to outlast the Patriots? In particular, two decisions. Going for it near the end of the first half on an incredible tossback throw to Nick Foles for a touchdown on fourth down was an incredible play call that could have done nothing but convince your team that you were there to win. And then, with 5.39 to go on his own side of the field and with his defense unable to stop Tom Brady, with the Patriots having just taken a one-point lead, he made the decision to go for it. His team converted an incredible catch by Zach Ertz. And from there, the Eagles took control of this football game and finally made a defensive stop in a game where it was almost impossible for anyone to make a defensive stop. So I thought Doug Peterson, nine years ago, a high school football coach, on the biggest stage, at the biggest moments of his coaching career, he had complete balls of steel to make the decision that gave his team the best chance to win, on two fourth down calls, I absolutely loved every bit of it. Nick Foles, complete apology here. I don't think this was a guy backing into a Super Bowl. I think this was Nick Foles showing you that the guy who threw for 27 touchdowns and two interceptions was this guy. That wasn't a fluke. His performance in the NFC Championship game was wasn't a fluke he went for 373 yards and three touchdowns against a bill belichick defense alongside of matt patricia who had two weeks to get ready for him and the only turnover he had in the entire game was a ball that was pretty well thrown to alshon jeffrey that alshon jeffrey popped into the air where if jeffrey makes the catch there everything is potentially different this wasn't about belichick and brady choking this wasn't about something bad happening for the patriots this was about doug peterson and nick Foles together playing and coaching at the highest possible level to beat bill belichick and tom brady this was a phenomenal win for eagles fans everywhere and i think it showed us that nick Foles has still got a lot left in the tank in the years ahead plus it forever changes Nick Foles' life. I think, I don't think I'm crazy in this, I think somebody out there is going to make a play, if they can, to trade for Nick Foles, and I think he'll be a starter next year. And that based on what I have seen, if he has a decent coach down the stretch of the rest of his career, this is a guy who can be an elite-level quarterback. You may think I'm crazy, but with what we have seen out of him In a previous year when he went for 27 touchdowns and two interceptions and what we saw from him in the NFC title game and the Super Bowl where he was virtually flawless, I think this is a guy who didn't just back his way into a Super Bowl Trent Dilfer style. He went out and won it. The Eagles are champs. Second big takeaway. Philadelphia is no longer the losers of Pennsylvania compared to the Steelers. They are no longer the losers of the East Coast compared to D.C. with four t- with three titles, Baltimore with two, the Giants with four, and Boston with five. They're no longer the losers of the NFC East where the rest of that division managed to capture five titles from the Cowboys, four from the Giants, three from the Redskins, They were surrounded by success and the personification of failure. That all ended last night. I hope the city of Philadelphia is all still standing, but I can certainly understand the burden of losing that is forever cast aside for the city of Philadelphia and Eagle fans far and wide. This was your moment. Enjoy it. It's well-deserved. Tom Brady. Tom Brady played... As good of a game at quarterback, just about, as you could play, particularly in the final three quarters of this game. The guy went 28 of 48 for 505 yards passing, three touchdowns, and that was without Brandon Cooks, his most reliable wide receiver weapon. This was a scintillating performance by a guy who is over 40 years old. I think any discussion about whether Brady's going to come back is crazy unless Brady himself decided that he wanted to retire. He did nothing that you look at throughout that entire game to hold his head down about. To me, Brady just further cemented his status as a great quarterback. What more can you ask of your offense than what the Patriots did? 613 total yards the eagles put up 538 and again the near catch in the end zone of the hell mary that seemed to hang in the air forever that my friends was about as good of an offensive performance as we have ever seen in the history of professional football here's the big uh, my my first negative so first three big takeaways you just heard from me as we react to super bowl 52 i'm clay travis we'll open up the phone lines like i said for you guys 877 877- 9966369 The NFL absolutely positively has to address the catch versus non-catch controversy. There were two different plays that everybody out there listening when these plays went to review, you had no idea what the result was going to be. The first was the Corey Clement catch on a probably perfect throw that Nick Foles dropped into Clement. Did he get his 2 feet in? I think the answer is no. I think the answer on that replay, to me, based on everything that we've seen in the NFL so far, was that he did not get his two feet in. I think, and this may be crazy, I think it's possible that New York stepped in and said, we can't have the Patriots get the benefit of the doubt of another questionable touchdown catch. And they made the decision that the Corey Clement touchdown stood because of what we've seen all season long with at least three replay reviews where touchdowns have come off the board that favored the Patriots against the Jets, against the Bills, and certainly on the Jesse James catch against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which was somewhat reiterated on the Zach Ertz touchdown catch. Now, it was a little bit different because in that play, Jesse James caught the ball basically right by the goal line, and I said caught the ball because it was a catch and then extended with the ball over the goal line and he didn't have the opportunity to take two, two or three steps like Zach Ertz did. But the fact that that play has to be reviewed at all and there is any uncertainty about whether what Zach Ertz did is a touchdown catch is a sign that the NFL catch-non-catch rules are flawed to the nth degree. Now, I think they got it right. But can you imagine the the reaction to today's game if the Patriots had gotten the benefit of that Zach Ertz call, just like they did of the Jesse James call, and if I were doing today's show with the Patriots having come back to score a touchdown and win, despite the fact that everybody out there watching believed that the Eagles had scored a touchdown. If the Eagles had had to kick a field goal there and they had gone up two, And Tom Brady and the Patriots had driven back down the field and either kicked a field goal to win or scored a touchdown to win. Can you imagine how irate people would be this morning, not just in Philadelphia, but across the country? This is an issue that the NFL has to address. And I don't know what language they need to put into their rules. I don't know what recalibration of the way that they acknowledge what a catch or a catch is not. This is something that they 100 billion percent have to address in the offseason. I have watched pro football and college football for my entire life. I believe that I know what a catch and not a catch is. When it comes to the NFL, I frequently have no clue. Again, I thought the Corey Clement play was not a catch based on the way the NFL has called the entire past couple of seasons. I thought he bobbled the ball and then his second foot after he got control was actually on the back line. I did not think that was a touchdown. I also thought that there was zero doubt about Zach Ertz. The fact that there was any question at all about Zach Ertz is a flaw on a fundamental level of the NFL rules when it comes to a catch. This was the game the NFL needed. No politics, no substantial controversy relating to anything other than the on-field product. Just an absolutely outstanding game. After a tumultuous season that frequently saw the league enmeshed in one off-field controversy after another, this was what fans needed. Just a hell of a football game that regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of your race, your gender, your ethnicity, where you were from, this was a Super Bowl you could sit back and enjoy. including. And I know it was controversial. Justin Timberlake's performance, which I thought was great, despite the fact that he came out in a camo suit, an elk shirt, some new Air Jordans, and a red bandana. That man put on one hell of a show. And I thought it was summed up by the commercials, which for the most part were non-political, non-partisan, and some of them actually funny. The best commercial of the night. And I'll admit that I didn't have perfect audio. I was at a Super Bowl party but the best commercial of the night, I thought, was Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. reenacting Dirty Dancing. If you have seen the movie Dirty Dancing, the Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey roles, it was utterly extraordinary. I absolutely loved it. Across the board, those are my takeaways. I'll bring in the crew. I'll take your calls. Splendid Super Bowl. Everyone, I think, who watched had to be happy. If you're a defense guy, I don't know why they didn't need to play any defense. This was not poor defense. This was two offenses executing at the highest possible level. This is what football can be. It's what it frequently should be at the highest levels. I had zero complaints. Everything about it was just about flawless. Even Patriot fans had to enjoy this game. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. How much money do you actually have to have? I mean, I'm trying to think. I've had $10,000 on a game before. And I've got a decent amount of money now. But I'm trying to think what I would have to have to have $3 million on a game. I know gamblers think differently than regular people, and but what percentage of your wealth does three million dollars have to be in order for you to feel comfortable putting it? And it's not even just a, a straight up bet on the line. Remember, the Patriots were a four and a half point favorite. This guy went money line, so that he bet the Eagles to win outright. And I, I, I mean, what kind of dollar figure do you think you have to have to feel comfortable making that kind of bet? I mean, to me, you have to be worth a hundred million dollars. Would I risk three percent of my wealth in a football game in a Super Bowl? Maybe even more than a hundred million dollars. You guys, let's go around. By the way, I'm going to get to your calls. I'm actually curious from you guys too. What? How much money would you have to have to feel comfortable risking three million dollars on a Super Bowl bet?
1: Well, here, here's my thought on it, Clay. I think that once you get up to that kind those kind of fortunes in in the in the millions, I mean at least in the in the tens of millions, you can risk a much higher percentage of your wealth because even if you lose that percentage, you still have so much to where you could I mean, I mean like let's say for example, I had thirty million dollars uh to my name. I would feel more than comfortable risking ten percent, which sounds like a huge percentage. but knowing that I'd still have you know, millions of dollars left $27 million. Something. Yeah, but I
3: understand if you're wealthy, like you feel like you can. But I, I think, you know, put it in the context of your own life. I think you have to look at percentages of your overall income. And so if you have $100,000 in total disposable assets, would you feel comfortable risking 3000 of that? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe the answer is yes. Um, maybe lots of people do. Um, but 3 million to me, like, that's what I'm saying. Like I'd have to have like a hundred million dollars to feel comfortable risking that and and having a hundred thousand dollars and risking 3000. It actually doesn't sound as bad to me then because you're like a hundred thousand dollars. What's $3,000? Maybe that's the answer. Maybe if you have a hundred million dollars, you're like 3 million here or there. I'm going to make it back. Uh, but that's just a massive amount of money to put on the game. So I'm assuming whoever bet that has got hundreds of millions of dollars. But i would like to know i'd like to know the story behind these massive bets how much money do the guys who are baking it's all guys by the way how much money do the guys have who are actually placing these bets let's go to some of your calls who should i go to first jason martin
4: ralph in coral springs
3: ralph in coral springs what you got my man
0: hey clay how's it going
3: living the dream hey, Ralph. I, I didn't lose three million dollars or win three million though Nah,
0: uh, i only lost 50 minutes uh listen um I just want to bring up a point because everybody's going to be talking about, you know, the referee's calls and all this other stuff and this and that. This is the bottom line. The bottom line to me is that I don't care what Chris Collinsworth says. He's an idiot. He said that that play before halftime was the turning point. No, it wasn't. The bottom line is it was the New England defense, okay? They couldn't stop them. They come back, New England scores after the, after the half. You know, Billy comes back, there's a third down, nobody's tackling. The coverage was horrible. New England couldn't tackle nothing. That's what lost the game for them. It wasn't no trick plays. It wasn't a bobbling in the ball because let me tell you that, that that play in the end zone, bobbling that ball, they would have probably scored anyway because they could they couldn't defend. It was horrible.
3: Nick Foles, what? Thanks for the call. Nick Foles was incredible on third down. The Patriots got him into third down and they got him into third and long a decent amount. And I think he was like, what was the final for Nick Foles on third down passing? Was he like thirteen for sixteen? On third down, I mean, that to me is why I would feel comfortable spending a lot of money or a draft pick to get Nick Foles in. And we'll have a lot of time to deconstruct Nick Foles and what this game means for him and his career going forward. But the biggest takeaway to me is, we talked a lot about this last week, if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick win, nothing really changes. If they've got six Super Bowls or they got five, nothing to me really substantially is altered in what we think of them. Nick Foles and Doug Peterson's life changed forever last night. And everybody who's on the Eagles, but in particular, the way we talk about quarterbacks, Nick Foles out playing in some way, or at least evenly playing, or at least playing close enough for his team to win, Tom Brady, and Doug Peterson, I think out coaching Bill Belichick. Everything changed for them last night. Their lives will never be the same forever because they won this Super Bowl. If they had lost, people forget who they played. How many of the five wins the Super Bowl that the Patriots have do you remember? Remember Jake DeLome? I don't. Really. I mean, I watched these games all for the rest of history. Now Nick Foles will be a Super Bowl champion. And I think he's going to make so much money in the grand scheme of things now because people who watch that film will say, my God, if he's got the right coach, if anybody other than Jeff Fisher basically is coaching him, Nick Foles can be really good. Let's go to Rich in Jacksonville. Rich, what you got? Did we lose
0: Rich?
3: No, me. we got him Rich. No.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say you nailed it completely about uh, the NFL office with those two calls. I, I've been an NFL fan for an incredibly long time. I, I, I really think they could have lost 20% of the viewing audience <laughs> if particularly that, that, that second touchdown had been uh, overturned. I literally think that would have been a critical mass moment. And I just want to say I appreciate that Roger Goodell wants to change the rules or that they're going to change it, but going into a game like that and still having that rule and still having that be a possibility of screwing up a game is just inexcusable and highlights how Roger Goodell has been, you know, pretty uh, inefficient as the commissioner.
3: Yeah, so,
2: I, I agree with you, I Rich. I mean,
3: I think that what where commissioners to me make money is thinking about problems that can arise and trying to address them before they arise. And that's why I've been so complimentary of David Stern over the anthem rule that the NBA has. The NBA players are required to stand for the national anthem. After Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, I believe, the NBA basically recalibrated their rule and made sure that they had this in place, and the NBA has had no political issues with the game itself. Roger Goodell, everything that he has done since he has been commissioner is reactive. It's try to put out a fire that's already burning. The personal conduct policy, I think he bungled it. Catch, non-catch. It's been bungled. It's been a bad rule for a long time ever since, guys. Remember Calvin Johnson, what is it, a decade ago when Calvin Johnson, I think it was on a Thanksgiving Day game, caught a ball in the back of the end zone and was holding it in one hand and dropped it as he finished the uh, finished the play, and they didn't fix it. That was a decade ago. That was a long time ago to know that there was an issue with the NFL catch-non-catch. Obviously, Des Bryant in the Green Bay against Dallas Cowboy game, Des Bryant caught the ball. Sorry, Packer fans. Des Bryant caught the football. And so you had all this time where you could have resolved it, and then the NFL had what could have been two cataclysmic rulings. Can you imagine if they had said Corey Clement didn't have a touchdown pass the catch there, and then they had also taken the touchdown catch away on the Zach Ertz play? which may well have been defensible under the NFL's catch-non-catch-non-catch-survive-the-lava-on-the-ground rule. It would have been an abject disaster for the league, and it would have gone to the very heart of competitive balance because the Patriots would have benefited on both of those calls after many of us, myself included, believe the Patriots have benefited all season long. So the league got it right in the rulings that I think it gave on both of those plays. I'm not sure the league got it right under the letter of the law brent in memphis what's up brent
0: things one memphis is kicker university we all have to acknowledge that uh also what's your stance on malcolm (laughs) butler not playing would it made a huge difference and lastly uh how would you grade the fan experience for the super bowl being up in the north rather than south
3: yeah it's it's good questions Uh, first of all i love the memphis tiger fans calling in to to say they're kicker you um that is pretty fantastic Uh, The second question that he had was Malcolm Butler. I think we've got the audio from Malcolm Butler or something from Malcolm Butler. We'll talk about that in the final segment of Hour 2. We haven't really addressed it. But I think in general, when your defense gives up, what was it, 538 yards and gives up basically every third down passing that Nick Foles attempted, I think there's an argument to be made that it couldn't have been any worse. But Malcolm Butler was not very good this season. Uh, As for the uh, hosting of the game by the crew up in Minneapolis, I am not a cold-weather guy. That's established. I've lived in the South my whole life. I lived in the Caribbean. I've never lived further north than Washington, D.C., where I lived when I was in college. I don't do cold weather. I don't particularly like it. Having said that, I thought Minneapolis, do it controlling the things they could control, and you can never control the weather. Other people of Minneapolis did a fantastic job hoping that, hosting the Super Bowl. My opinion, I think the Super Bowl should only be in warm weather venues, by and large. I would put it on a constant rotation. This is my opinion. I'd go, like, Southern California. I'd go Vegas because I think a Super Bowl in Vegas would be monumental and outstanding and exhilarating and awesome. I would go Houston. I would go New Orleans, and I would go South Florida. That's my thing. Now, occasionally, if you got a brand-new stadium built, I think it's fine to go acknowledge the building of that brand-new stadium and rotate it around. But by and large, I would only do that, like, every six or seven years. The rest of the time I'd put it on a constant rotation. We could also toss Phoenix into that into that mix. I would play all southern locales for the weather um, just because it's hard to get around. I mean, I think it does dampen the enthusiasm of the week when it's minus 8 degrees like it was on Friday when we woke up. Not the fault of the people in Minneapolis. They were fantastic. I love the concept of them embracing the bold north. I think it's just tough. Let me get a couple more calls in. Chuck and Indy, what's up?
4: Chuck dropped. Go to Andy in Houston.
3: Andy in Houston. What's up, Andy?
0: Hey, I want to jump the gun on the uh, Butler thing with you. I think it's ridiculous. You could tell at how you could tell it. The uh, Star Spangled banner. He was crying, and, and and the guy was his fellow teammate had his arm around him. Yeah. You go two weeks before the game. You know he's practicing because you could tell it was a game-time decision. You know it was disciplinarian action because if Belichick said it was, then he would have been lambasted by uh, Butler because Butler's on his way out. He's a free agent. This was one of those deals where the master unmastered. It It was terrible because, look, as much as we say about uh, Foles tearing up their defense, look at Philadelphia Eagles' defense they got hammered. Yeah. I mean, 5 yards of carry, 505 yards of uh Brady, if you take away the last uh series with all the in- incompletions, he almost had about the same kind of you know, attempt uh catches, you know, catches that Foles had.
1: Yeah, it was but a fun- fun
0: I-
2: decision- I-
3: Yeah, we're going to get to that. That's a good. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I want to run through the five or six things that to me stood out the most from the game. And we start with the number one takeaway for me. It was Doug Peterson and Nick Foles going head to head with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. This wasn't about the Patriots losing, it was about the Eagles winning. And in particular, there were two play calls that I thought from Doug Peterson should be studied for years ahead by coaches as they prepare for big games. Don't allow the moment to overwhelm you. Fourth and one, late in the game, five thirty-nine remaining. Doug Peterson's defense has been unable to stop Brady and the Patriots. They are trailing by one point, and he goes for it on his side of midfield, converts, touchdown happens. It was absolutely the right call. The percentage play there may well have been punt. Hope you get a defensive stop and get the ball back. But guess what? The Patriots hadn't punted all night long. I think if you give the ball back to Brady and the Patriots there, the likelihood is, one, you may not get the ball back. Two, the Patriots are probably going to score. And when you get the ball back, you're going to be down eight points. He went for it, got the touchdown. I thought Doug Peterson grabbed – Fate by the scruff of its neck and said, I'm not going to allow the Patriots to survive. I've used this analogy before, but great dynasties are like scary villains in a horror movie. You don't back your way into killing the villain in a movie, whether it's Freddy Krueger, whether it's Jason, Michael Myers, all those horror movies that we all grew up watching. You don't somehow manage to kill the horror movie villain with a glancing blow. You don't like hit him in the head and then he falls in the water and then he drowns himself. you got to stand over him and pump bullet after bullet into that body. That is what Doug Peterson did. He took control of the situation. Also, glorious, beautiful play at the end of the first half with about two minutes to go when he had the throwback pass to Nick Foles. I thought there was where If you were an Eagles player, you said to yourself, our coach came to win this game. He trusts us to make plays. Nick Foles did it all day long. 373 yards passing, three TDs. Nick Foles' life changed forever last night. If Tom Brady and Bill Belichick had won their sixth Super Bowl, nothing much would be different. We'd be coming on this show talking about how good Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are. And I don't think anything changed even though they lost this game. But Nick Foles... His life forever changed, and so did Doug Peterson's life forever change last night. Nick Foles, to me, is a guy that if I'm the Browns, or I'm the Broncos, or I am the Jags, or I am the Jets, one of the Arizona Cardinals, one of these many teams out there that desperately needs a quarterback, I would go get Nick Foles. If you have a good head coach who's going to run an offensive system that isn't from 1984, like Jeff Fisher, I think Nick Foles can win at a high level in this league. I don't think this is an example of Trent Dilfer winning a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens, backing his way into it with a great defense. This was Nick Foles in the NFC title game and the Super Bowl winning these games for the Eagles. Nick Foles in the playoffs, nearly a 73% completion percentage, just one interception, and that wasn't his fault. That was a pretty good throw to Alshon Jeffery. That was almost caught. There were a lot of dimes that Nick Foles dropped in this game. Eagles are the champs. City of Philadelphia rejoice. No longer are you the losers of Pennsylvania having to look to the western part of your state with Pittsburgh with six titles. No longer are you the laughing stock of the East Coast. The Washington Redskins have three Super Bowl titles. The Baltimore Ravens, even the Ravens have two titles. The Giants have four. The Boston, Patri- the, the Boston Patriots the Boston Patriots, the New England Patriots have five in the city of Boston, wedged right in between. All of those cities was Philadelphia without a Super Bowl championship. As if that weren't bad enough. You're awful in the state of Pennsylvania compared to the Steelers. You're awful on the East Coast compared to every other major city, D.C., Baltimore, New York City, and Boston. You're also in the NFC East where the Cowboys have five, the Giants have four, and the Redskins have three. That's 12 combined Super Bowl titles you've had to watch while you had none at all. Congratulations, at long last, the Eagles joining the Super Bowl club. Brady was Brady. 28 of 48, 505 yards, three TDs, and he did it without Brandon Cooks. That was about as good as Tom Brady could have played. I truly thought that the Patriots were going to catch that Hail Mary, score, get a two-point conversion, and still win in overtime. That's how often I've seen Brady and the Patriots do it. I thought they would do it again. All of those things are incredibly positive. Here's one thing that needs to be resolved. The catch-non-catch controversy. We've talked about it a decent amount on this show. Certainly, we've talked a lot about it today, and we've talked about it a lot all season long. I think the touchdown pass that Corey Clement caught for the Eagles, I don't think he got his two feet in with control of the ball as the rule would suggest he needed to do in the NFL all season long. I thought that New York made the call, we can't have the Patriots be the beneficiary of another call like this. And so as a result, I think they decided to let that call stand, even though I think Clement's second foot was out of bounds in the back of the end zone. I don't think that was a touchdown based on the way the NFL has applied the rules all season long. Now, Zach Ertz, that is a touchdown on any field At any level of football that I've ever seen played, from backyard Thanksgiving game football to the highest level of the Super Bowl, that was a catch. What the NFL needs to do is get this catch non catch controversy resolved. And one way they can do it is if you are a receiver and you are stretching the ball out for a touchdown and you have possession enough to do that, the moment the ball breaks the plane, you don't have to survive the ground anymore. The ground is not lava. The moment that you break the plane, like Jesse James did against the Patriots with the Steelers, like Zach Ertz did, the moment you break the plane, the catch should be completed. should be just like when you're running with the football. If you fumble with it, after you break the plane, it doesn't matter. The rule should be the same for catches in that respect. Um, I think that the Jesse James play was a touchdown. I certainly think the Zach Ertz play was a touchdown. If the NFL had ruled neither Corey Clement nor Zach Ertz were touchdowns, I don't know what would happen, but that is a potential disaster for the league. This was, as I started off by saying, the night the NFL needed, no politics, no off-field controversy, just an outstanding game, the likes of which we have never seen from an offensive perspective. The Pats with 613 yards, the Eagles with 538. Nobody could stop anybody on the field. I think it was about great offense more than it was about woeful defense. That was an incredible game to watch. I also thought, even though some of you might not have agreed, that Justin Timberlake was great last night. And I thought the two best ads, if you watched the ads last night, I thought the two best ads, my favorite was the Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. dirty dancing commercial. That was my favorite. I think the second best commercial all night long was the Alexa commercial where Alexa has suddenly lost her voice. If your household is anything like my household, Alexa is a big star. And by the way, I may have just screwed up your listening Because when I say Alexa, a bunch of you will text me or, sorry, tweet me and say, hey, my Alexa goes completely out of whack when you say Alexa while I'm listening to the show. So hopefully you're able to find the show again. Uh, That was a great ad from Amazon. That was a great ad. I don't even know who the ad was for, for Eli and Odell. I think that was an NFL players ad. I'm not even sure who was, what company was advertising. But if you've seen Dirty Dancing with... uh, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey that ad was fantastic with for the NFL all right the NFL that is a fantastic ad all right I actually want to start there because we haven't talked much about the periphery of the game we've talked a lot about the game I'm going to bring in the crew and also by the way, 877 As you guys know, during football season on Mondays, we don't have a single guest. I think we're the only national show in the country that will do that. It's just us talking. It's just you guys reacting, not one single guest that's by design. Which, what, what was your reaction? I want the crew's reaction to Justin Timberlake. And also, did you agree with me, or were there other ads you thought were better than the Dirty Dancing and the Alexa ad, which I thought were the two best?
4: The ads, I agree with you. Um, I, I love the Echo ad, and I really did love the Eli and Odell Beckham. That that was my favorite one as well. Also, like the Doritos ad with Morgan Freeman and Peter Dinklage. Thought that was pretty well executed, and I actually kind of liked the Crocodile Dundee spoof. Once I realized that it wasn't an oh, actual trailer, I thought thank it was an actual with Danny movie. Danny McBride, yeah, that, so w- that I. was and good. Thank goodness, it wasn't. That was good. That,
3: Austra- that Australia commercial, I actually would watch Crocodile Dundee with Danny McBride as as the as the son of Crocodile Dundee too. I was like, this has the potential to be a really funny, funny, uh, funny, funny st- movie, right? I mean, as a parody kind of of the original Crocodile Dundee.
4: Yeah, and as for JT. I thought JT was pretty good. I wasn't blown away by any stretch of the imagination. I guess I have a really high bar for Justin Timberlake. I've seen him live. I'm a big fan of his. Not this new album, but I'm generally a big fan of his. I just It, it just didn't blow me away. I didn't love the arrangements. Obviously, he was dressed in his, like, man-of-the-woods clothes out there. It just, it just didn't necessarily – it did not hit on all cylinders for me. I'd, I'd go no higher than, like, a – I don't know, C-plus for what I saw from... Because I know how good he can be, and this just was not vintage Justin Timberlake for me.
3: I thought it was a good performance. Uh, what about you guys in L.A.? What do you think? Was there any other commercials? I think that's those are the three best. I think J-Mart bringing up the Australia commercial was also good. Yeah, those um, were... Those um, were the three star, stars. I, I have
5: a, a couple others that stood out to me. I thought Tide was ingenious. They really yeah, did a I, great yeah, job. They did well. The
3: Stranger – I didn't even know what they were saying, but I love the <laughs> use of the Stranger Things guy in them. Again, I, I was at a – like a lot of you probably who are listening right now, I was at a party, so I couldn't always hear the audio perfectly. Uh, but They, I, I, they I, I, were I, just
5: I, showing all the cliché Super Bowl commercials from yeah, over the years. Yeah, the Mr. Years. Clean, the Mr. Right.
4: Clean. David Harbour was all over those things. He even did the McConaughey thing. I enjoyed that a lot, and I think David Harbour's really Really funny guy really talented guy I think so that pe- worked out well
3: people like stranger things one and two so much who have watched that episode like i i think we asked this question before watch that series i don't know what percentage of our listeners right now are netflix subscribers and then on top of that what percentage of our listeners are netflix subscribers who have watched stranger things but to me he is almost i mean like i just see him and i immediately think because i like stranger things so much i love that guy so I think that was an ingenious decision by Tide for that reason because now I imagine there's a there's 100 million people watching the Super Bowl and change whatever the total number is. What do you think half of them have actually watched Stranger Things because if you haven't watched Stranger no. Things you would have no idea who that guy is.
5: Yeah, uh, that's that's tough. I'd go I'm like a with... quarter. I'd probably go 25. Okay, so if you yeah. think 25 million I, people have still a lot. Yeah, I'd say 30% of the audience has probably seen
3: So it. so what do the other 70% think? They're like this who is this random guy? probably still in a work? room
5: with somebody who told him who it was yeah that, true. Th-
3: that might well true. be true
5: um, well I, and, and then uh, to point out how good how effective tides campaign was it kind of raised an eyebrow at the end of their first commercial saying do you mean every single one of these super bowl commercials could be tied so when there was that five million dollar 30 second blackout did you notice that where oh, we didn't yeah. have the blackout yeah. no
3: not in my – i the, what I heard was that the blackout was regional and impacted by what cable or satellite company you had. Well, so
5: Twitter I, Twitter exploded and someone said, is this a Tide ad?
3: Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I, I think that was regional. That's what NBC said because I, I got texts from buddies who were like, hey, what happened? I never noticed our screen ever going out. So I don't think it happened here in Nashville.
5: Oh, interesting. Uh, the, the second commercial um, that I thought was interesting – was Febreze with that bleep don't stink yeah <laughs> and uh he said uh, my, my friend uh her son's a lawyer um but my son his bleep don't stink and the dad says that's better than being a lawyer and uh and the kids in the bathroom looking at the Febreze and he's like mom what's Febreze
3: yeah <laughs> it was pretty good what about Justin Timberlake
5: He was good. I I mean, you know, after the thing with Janet happened, we were stuck with a lot of classic rock acts that our grandparents would really love, you know, like The Who and Rolling Stones and stuff like that. Remember when we were going through that? And so the younger people were the you know the crowd middle-aged even were like okay uh yeah so
4: what was the change beyonce is that yeah they went yeah back that's young? when they it, went beyonce it, then bruno mars then yep. Katy perry and all of that so and they had madonna
3: but madonna was like is still i mean i think considered edgy and you had right. i think one of the people like flicked the middle finger to the camera a so, few years ago so
5: as we we've kind of transitioned back now I, I think JT did a good job. I mean, it wasn't over-the-top spectacular, but I, I would say it was a, a 7 out of 10.
3: What do you think about the outfit? The camo suit, the, like, moose shirt or elk or whatever the heck it was, the red bandana, and the Jordans. I like the I mean, shoes. That was an incredible combo of outfits. Good. Yeah. What the, about you? Uh shoes. J- Justin Cooper, you are a uh, a showbiz genius. Uh, how would you assess as a former child actor star of Liar Liar? How would you assess both Justin Timberlake's performance as well as the um, as the overall uh, advertising market?
1: I mean, I personally think that the the Justin Timberlake performance was great. I, I think it I think it might be in the top five all time. I mean, my personal oh, favorite. No. I yes. thought it was
3: great too. I think Twitter is like very quick to just decide that they hate something. And so, by the way. You guys ripped me on Friday when I said that if we had the Justin Timberlake-Janet Jackson thing happen today, that it would be all freighted if he like revealed her boob, it would be all freighted with race and Me Too and misogyny and everything no, we, else. we
5: agreed with you on the Me Too part of yeah, it. Yeah, the only thing we disagreed with was, was race. Do you and still Daily
4: stand Beast, by that? Daily B certainly did give you an out there that's the only piece new York, i saw but that the day new York article was are it was was terrible
3: the new yorker did too the new yorker said like ripped uh in their review they said if this happened like today like this would be a shameful like we we now have the vote they said something like we now have the vocabulary to discuss the rampant misogyny and sexism and racism that would what was endemic in that move so i've seen it and they also had like janet jackson appreciation day was trending and a lot of it was just ripping Uh, Justin Timberlake for everything that he had done allegedly wrong even though i'm saying i think it's ridiculous that that would have ever been uh, the case all right but you agree with me justin cooper that it was a really good performance
1: yeah i mean I, I think that justin timberlake is a legend and i think he sounded great i think the the crowd was into it the the, the prince
4: tribute was good yeah the production he sounded great
1: yeah exactly I thought so was like
4: one out of every 58 words that he actually sang hey but, but i mean what do you care though i mean what do you expect like why do you, i, I not understand care well i mean if you're not singing that does count right like if I, you're talking about performances i've seen jt live and he sang every word. And last night he basically danced. And every once in
1: a while he well, actually sang. Yeah, yeah but last I, night but it I, wasn't a Justin Timberlake tour concert. It yeah, was, I think I also agree with that. that.
3: The, the audio is a mess when you do that. Your voice is behind like everything else. So I just I'm more about the production value, right? Like I I, I know I what Justin Timberlake sounds like, so I don't need to hear him sound again. <laughs> like what Justin Timberlake
5: sounds like. I, I mean, think the girls were upset because they figured NSYNC would come out on stage at some point. Yeah, that and was a I, missed opportunity. I saw a lot of that on social media from females on my timeline that they were upset that there was no NSYNC sighting. That's
1: why Jason didn't
5: like
3: it. Yeah, I mean, I don't no. remember a few years ago Justin Timberlake had, was it the open or the close of, I don't even remember what it was, the MTV M- Movie o- Music Awards or like the Grammys when he did like a extended like ten minute performance and he walked the entire time and covered like you know a long distance. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't remember where the what what award show that was, but that was a phenomenal performance um just in terms of sheer entertainment. And I thought this was pretty good from sheer entertainment as well.
1: I agree. And, and real quick, just to, to wrap up the commercial things, one one that I believe you guys left out, which I thought was awesome, was I think I think it might have been the very first one, the the Doritos slash Mountain Dew commercial with Peter Dinklage. Yeah, yeah Jason mentioned, mentioned it, but okay. I,
4: I, I I was
1: Song of Ice and Fire.
3: Yeah, I thought that was like... Look, I'm as big of a Game of Thrones fan as you can possibly imagine. I thought that was like... I I just wasn't that impressed with it. I thought by far... Could you hear it? Yeah, I heard it. I mean, but I thought by far... It doesn't... Like, pretending to sing as somebody else's voice, I mean, I I don't know. It doesn't really sell me that much. Um, I thought by far the three best ads were, uh, in any particular order, Eli and Odell, Dirty Dancing, which... Which is just phenomenal. If you've seen the movie *Dirty Creepy. Dancing*, which I think most of you have, I thought the Alexa ad was fantastic. Alexa loses her voice, and I thought Australia with Danny McBride and Chris—I always all those guys I get mixed up because they all Hemsworth. look the exact same. Hemsworth, Pratt, like all those dudes are to me like the same dude. So the Australian dude, um, and then also a, a, a quick uh, cameo by the original Crocodile Dundee, Paul Hogan. All of those were outstanding. We'll open up the phone lines. We'll take your calls. We'll continue to unpack the game as we have been for the first two hours of the show so far. Would encourage you to go download the podcast. Start off February with a bang with us. Uh, January was the most downloaded month in the history of the show. Appreciate all your support and appreciate how this show is growing. You guys are a huge part of that. Eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. As I said, only national show you will hear that does not have a single guest on on Monday as we break down the Super Bowl and everything surrounding it.
0: Oh oh oh. O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh oh